Mrs. Murphy stood staring out the window of her Gloucester home. Grief weighed heavy on her soul. It had been a couple of months since her son's funeral, if you could call it that. The family had no body to bury. Murph hadn't returned from a commercial fishing venture. The boat that had hired him presumably sank, swallowed by the ocean during a terrible storm. Neither the vessel nor the men on board were ever found. As the mother of a fisherman, Mrs. Murphy had grown accustomed to her son leaving for extended periods of time. But she struggled to come to terms with this more permanent absence. Her son had always told her he'd die at sea. She just never expected it to happen. He'd had many brushes with death before and managed to escape unscathed every time. She stared blankly ahead, barely noticing the world passing by outside her window until she caught something out of the corner of her eye, a figure that made her leap out of bed. Down on the street, walking down the road in large familiar boating boots, she saw her son, alive. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know, but in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our second episode on the disappearance of the Andrea Gale. In 1991, six men set sail on their last sword-fishing expedition of the year. After getting caught in a so-called perfect storm, the boat and crew were never seen again. Last time, we detailed the minutes leading up to the Andrea Gale's final journey and reviewed everything we know about what happened on board prior to the storm cutting off all communication to the outside world. Today we'll discuss the failed attempts to locate the missing fishing vessel and the impact its disappearance had on a community. Then we'll examine what most likely happened to the Andrea Gale, as well as some strange and supernatural stories that haunt its legacy to this day. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Thunder crashed overhead as Chris Cotter screamed her fiancé's name. She couldn't find Bobby anywhere. The floor rocked under her feet as the thrashing waves threatened to capsize the boat. She struggled to keep her balance. Strangely enough, Chris didn't recognize the boat she was on. But she didn't have time to think about that. It didn't matter. She needed to find Bobby now, before the storm got worse. Chris ran below deck, shouting for Bobby. There were no people around, but weeds and sea creatures filled the vessel. 
After some time, something inside her told her to start digging through the slime. She felt like she was going mad. Then she saw it, underneath all the mess, Bobby's arm. She pulled as hard as she could to get him out, but as she did, a wave of despair washed over her. She knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, Bobby was dead. Then she woke up. Drenched in sweat, Chris shot up in bed. According to The Perfect Storm by Sebastian Younger, she caught her breath, looking around her apartment. It wasn't real. It was just a nightmare. She could tell Bobby all about it when he returned from his swordfishing expedition. He was due back any day now. But the terror Chris had felt lingered like a hangover. She lit a cigarette and stared out her window overlooking the ocean. It looked like a storm was brewing. The same choppy gray water she'd seen in her dream now filled Ipswich Bay like it had fallen out of her unconscious. She hadn't heard anything about bad weather. Chris took a puff to calm her nerves. Bobby was out there, but surely he'd be fine. He was with an experienced crew, and the Andrea Gale was a sturdy vessel. Her dream couldn't mean anything. A knock on the front door interrupted Chris's thoughts. She answered to find Susan Brown standing on her doorstep. Susan was the wife of Bobby's boss. She stopped by from time to time because she was in charge of the Andrea Gale's payroll. But when Chris looked into Susan's eyes, she knew this visit was about more than business. Something was wrong. No one could reach the Andrea Gale. They'd lost all communication with the men on board during a violent storm. They hadn't been able to make contact since. Susan reassured Chris there was no need to worry. It could just be a technical issue with the antenna. Her husband was on the case, but on the other side of town, Susan's husband was worried. Bob Brown owned two ships that had gotten caught in the storm the Andrea Gale, and the Hannah Bowden. He had been trying and failing to get in touch with both for 24 hours now. Neither ship had made a distress call, but he still felt a sinking feeling in the pit of his stomach. And the storm clouds rolling into Gloucester only made it worse. At 9.30 a.m., Bob Brown attended a routine meeting with New England Fisheries Management. He hoped he could gather intel from other fishing companies with vessels still at sea. Bob approached a woman whose husband captained a boat called the Seneca. They'd also lost comms during the storm. He wondered if she'd heard from the crew since. She had. The transmission was faint, but they received a report that they were stationed just east of the Grand Banks, waiting out the storm. Bob's heart sank. He hurried home and tried one more time to reach his ships. To his relief, the captain of the Hannah Bowden finally answered. Linda Greenlaw's voice filtered through static. She reported their crew had survived the storm, but she was worried about the Andrea Gale. She'd been trying to get in contact with them, but hadn't been able to, which made her worried. A few miles away, Chris Cotter now sat in the Crow's Nest, a local bar where Bobby's mother, Ethel, worked. She'd spoken to Ethel's daughter, Mary Ann, who hadn't heard from Bobby either. 
By 10 a.m., the room was filled with shell-shocked patrons drinking. Word had gotten around fast that the Andrea Gale was unresponsive, likely missing. It had gone quiet in a storm that was now headed their way. A large window in the crow's nest looked out onto the rough water. The residents of the fishing town were no strangers to loss, but a sense of doom hung over the room. Over the next few hours, the locals drank, Chris to the point where she couldn't think anymore. Meanwhile, Bob Brown spent the afternoon desperately trying to get in touch with the Andrea Gale. But by 6.15 p.m., he gave up. He called the Boston Coast Guard and reported the vessel and its crew missing. Even though he'd never received a distress call, he told them he feared the worst. Now, the lack of a distress call was unusual. The Andrea Gale had something called an emergency position indicating radio beacon on deck. All commercial fishing vessels had them. They were required by law. These beacons came equipped with a permanently armed, water-sensitive trigger. Should a boat start to sink or take on excess water, the equipment would notify authorities and send the boat's coordinates. If the Andrea Gale was safe and only having problems with its antenna, the automatic trigger might not have gone off. But it's possible the beacon's automatic trigger failed. Though in that case, the captain could still flip a manual switch that would send out a signal for help. No one could be sure whether the lack of a distress call was a good or bad sign. Crews from other fishing vessels pitched in to try and find the ship. They used their expertise in tracking swordfish to read the ocean currents and estimate where the Andrea Gale had possibly drifted. Billy Tyne had last reported their location as 180 miles northeast of Sable Island, far off the coast of Nova Scotia. But that was more than 48 hours ago, well before rescue efforts kicked into high gear. Teams spent days searching. They cycled through every radio frequency, trying to contact the crew. But their efforts seemed to be in vain. No one had heard or found anything until November 1st, four days after last contact. On its way home from sea, a ship called the Mary T had sailed through a bunch of blue fuel barrels. Stenciled on the side were the letters A.G., meaning they came from the Andrea Gale. The captain called their position into the Coast Guard. But after widening their search and canvassing more than 100,000 square miles of ocean, neither the ship nor its men were found. On November 8, 1991, almost two weeks after the Andrea Gale disappeared, the Canadian and American Coast Guard permanently suspended their search. When news reached Chris Cotter, she was catapulted back into that nightmare. She knew in her bones, Bobby was dead. Coming up, what may have caused the Andrea Gale's demise. Greed, revenge, lust. Murder investigations often pinpoint why someone has been killed, but not necessarily who did the killing? Every Tuesday on Unsolved Murders, meet the victims, suspects, and investigators of the most notorious criminal cases in history. 
Part dramatic podcast, part old-time radio show, Unsolved Murders transports you to the scene of a crime, its ensuing investigation, and every attempt to solve the case. You'll soon discover that the murder isn't always the most shocking part of the story. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Unsolved Murders. Listen free only on Spotify. Now back to the story. In November 1991, the people of Gloucester held a memorial service for the six crew members of the Andrea Gale. Billy Tyne, Bobby Shatford, Dale Murphy, Michael Moran, Dave Sullivan, and Alfred Pierre. The men had presumably died in late October during what has since been called the perfect storm. More than 1,000 people attended the service. The community, which was built around commercial fishing, grieved alongside the families. Many didn't know the men personally, but came to show their support anyway. This was the first funeral Gloucester had thrown for fishermen lost at sea in 13 years. Anger and sorrow rippled through the crowd as a reverend asked them to mourn for the departed. Many struggled to find closure without bodies to bury. But a few held out hope that the crew would still return. Days earlier, they'd gotten a small taste of what the men had experienced at sea. On the morning of Wednesday, October 30th, the storm reached Massachusetts. Gloucester police blocked access to the shore. From behind caution tape, residents watched enormous waves crash and fall without pattern or warning. By mid-afternoon, these same residents could barely walk down the street. Electricity lines whipped and moaned in the wind. 80-mile-per-hour gusts threatened to blow them over. Waves overtook beaches, ripped up parking lots, and filled swimming pools with debris. Homes flooded. A pilot sitting at Boston's Logan Airport watched ocean spray reach the top of 200-foot cranes. Even the most powerful man in America couldn't escape the storm's wrath. Waves wrecked President George H.W. Bush's summer home in Kennebunkport, Maine. Boulders crashed through its walls. All told, damage to the East Coast exceeded more than $200 million. In some respects, the devastation wasn't surprising. A mature Category 5 hurricane is considered the most powerful event on Earth. A single one has been known to kill hundreds of thousands of people. The initial weather event, Hurricane Grace, only ever reached a Category 2 classification. However, there's a reason we call the event a perfect storm. The crew of the Andrea Gale sailed through the convergence of not one, but three separate storms. Storms that collided with a cold front, causing an anticyclone, or a nor'easter, or as meteorologists tend to call them, bombs. Linda Greenlaw, the captain of the Hannah Bowden, believed the storm formed directly over the Andrea Gale. So when the ship never returned, the fate of the men on board seemed obvious. But in the wake of the tragedy, some blamed more than the storm for the men's deaths. A few pointed fingers at the ship's owner, Bob Brown. The time of its disappearance, the Andrea Gale was a 12-year-old ship, which is relatively young as far as boats are concerned. 
But back in 1986, five years before the vessel and its crew went missing, Bob Brown had made some alterations to the Andrea Gale. He wanted the boat to be able to spend longer spans of time at sea. Lengthier excursions meant more fish. More fish meant more income. His changes included adding eight tons of machinery, fuel, and water drums to the deck. The work was completed at the St. Augustine Trawlers, a shipbuilding operation in Florida. The men in charge apparently practiced what's known as eyeball engineering. Bob Brown didn't consult a marine architect or perform any stability test when they finished. As such, some wondered whether the added weight and shoddy craftsmanship contributed to the Andrea Gale's demise. Maybe the crew could have survived if the modifications had been more intentional. But it's important to note, the owner didn't abandon all regulatory practices. After the updates, Bob hired a surveyor to reinspect the ship. After he finished, the inspector asked Bob to make a few minor improvements, like adding lights to the survival suits. But otherwise, he gave his stamp of approval. According to Sebastian Younger's book, he even signed a letter stating, quote, The modifications and additional furnishings will increase the vessel's ability to make longer trips and return with high-quality product. You might think testing a ship's stability would be a part of any review process, but it wasn't. Stability didn't come up in 1986 or in the following inspection in 1990. And that's because the Andrea Gale wasn't required to undergo a stability test. They were only mandated for ships taller than 79 feet. And the Andrea Gale stood at a sturdy 72. Technically, Bob Brown followed the letter of the law, even if it can be argued that the modifications he made should have raised concerns. For example, the newly extended deck added three feet to the Andrea Gale's stern. The deck was then burdened by the weight of an ice machine and three dozen 55-gallon fuel drums. So the ship sat lower than normal in the water, even before the men filled their tanks with thousands of pounds of fish. This meant waves could quickly flood the deck, especially in choppy seas. Moreover, the additional weight actually raised the ship's center of gravity higher. Imagine someone trying to knock you over while you're standing versus while you're crouched down. The higher the center of gravity, the easier it is to tip over. So when the ship went missing, people all around Gloucester and inside places like the Crow's Nest speculated why the Andrea Gale didn't survive the storm. Some theories weren't related to Bob Brown's modification. One fisherman, Jack Flaherty, who'd worked on a vessel identical to the Andrea Gale for over 40 years, believed the boat sank because of its hefty fuel supplies. Flaherty suspected the ship's fuel had gotten muddied in the rough storm waters. When violent waves crashed over the sides of the boat, the salt water could have brought algae with it, causing rust on the barrels or allowing air to get in the fuel reserves. This could have caused engine failure. And according to Flaherty, if the men lost power, their fate would have been sealed. Without the ability to maneuver through the waves, the ship would have been a sitting duck. 
it almost certainly would have rolled over. Of course, like the storm that hit it, the Andrea Gale's fate may have been sealed by a number of different factors colliding at once, including, but not limited to, what we've mentioned so far. No one can say for sure what happened to the ship and its crew or whether it might have been prevented. But the Andrea Gale's fate isn't what remains so mysterious all these years later. We can safely say the ship and its crew sailed through a once-in-a-century weather phenomenon and met a watery grave. But there are certain details in the Andrea Gale's story that can't be explained. Some are minor, like the eerily calm demeanor of the ship's captain during its final hours. The last time Linda Greenlaw spoke with Billy Tyne, she didn't hear any urgency in his voice. Despite the storm wreaking havoc on the ship, Billy didn't seem phased. He didn't ask for help. He only requested a fishing report. But other details are far more alarming, like what happened to the Andrea Gale's emergency beacon. We mentioned earlier that the Coast Guard never received a distress call from the device. As it turns out, there's a reason for that. On the afternoon of November 5th, 1991, three days before authorities suspended all rescue efforts, the Andrea Gale's emergency beacon washed ashore. A Coast Guardsman found it in the sand on an island off the coast of Nova Scotia. Stumbling upon a device not much larger than an average bowling pin felt like an incredible stroke of luck. But the real shock came when officials realized the emergency device had been disarmed. Coming up, supernatural events haunt the Andrea Gale's legacy. Now back to the story. When officials found the Andrea Gale's emergency beacon disarmed, the news sent shockwaves through Gloucester and the surrounding communities. No one could wrap their minds around the situation. Why would someone manually shut down a piece of technology meant to save lives, especially given the conditions? Bob Brown was adamant the beacon had been properly armed when the Andrea Gale left port. No one who knew Billy Tyne believed he would have disarmed the device. Nothing about the situation made sense until another strange detail came to light. Apparently, the Coast Guard's discovery of the emergency beacon never made it into their official records. They'd filed and logged extensive incident reports that included almost every other major event during their search efforts. But for some reason, there was not a single mention of the device. Naturally, this raised the question, why? In time, conspiracy theories and rumors circulated that the Coast Guard intentionally removed or omitted the beacon's discovery from their records. It was all part of an elaborate cover-up. According to these rumors, the Coast Guard, and possibly others as well, lied about never receiving a distress signal from the Andrea Gale. They did get one, and chose not to help. When that Coast Guardsman found the emergency beacon on that island off the coast of Nova Scotia, it was armed. Officials disarmed it to make it look like it was never active in the first place. They wanted to hide the fact that they left the crew of the Andrea Gale 
to die. But the truth is, there's no real evidence to support this claim. If we examine the Coast Guard's other rescue efforts during the storm, their actions don't suggest any hesitation around putting themselves in harm's way. One of their helicopters quite literally ran out of fuel while trying to save the lives of five fishermen off the coast of Long Island. Not to mention, crisis responders are trained to assess risk and make difficult life and death decisions. If the Coast Guard did receive a distress signal and chose not to respond, they likely wouldn't feel the need to cover it up. As harsh as it sounds, sometimes inaction prevents more casualties. Of course, that leaves us without any explanation for why the Andrea Gale's emergency beacon was disarmed when it washed ashore. It also doesn't explain why there was no mention of the device in the Coast Guard's official reports. But there are many more bizarre events associated with the Andrea Gale that remain a mystery, many of which feel almost otherworldly. Before, during, and after its disappearance, people connected to the ship claimed to have supernatural experiences. Last time, we discussed fisherman Adam Randall. He was supposed to be on board the Andrea Gale during its final journey. But just before the ship set sail, he claimed an inexplicable sense of doom washed over him that made him stay home. And that funny feeling in his gut ultimately saved his life. At the top of today's episode, we also discussed Chris Cotter's premonition-like nightmare. According to Chris, after that night, she kept having the same recurring dream. In it, Bobby would visit her just to let her know he was okay and happy. Chris wasn't the only family member to have a nightly visitor. Other loved ones reportedly experienced similar dreams, one on the exact same night as Chris's visceral nightmare. Before Dale Murphy, a.k.a. Murph, boarded the Andrea Gale, he apparently promised his ex-wife Deborah and his son Dale Jr. he'd return in time for Deborah's birthday. Then, on the night of October 30th, Murph visited Deborah in a dream. Unlike Chris's vision, this wasn't a nightmare. According to Sebastian Younger, Deborah said Murph approached her and told her, I'm sorry, I'm not going to make it this time. Then she woke up to a phone call from Billy Tyne's girlfriend who explained the Andrea Gale was missing. When Deborah drove to her son-in-law's house that morning to break the news to them, Murph's mother had a strange story of her own. Before Murph boarded the Andrea Gale for the last time, his mother apparently reminded him to update his life insurance policy. That way, he'd have burial coverage should he ever need it. She wasn't worried about anything happening to him on this particular trip. But after she said it, Murph looked at his mother and told her not to worry about burying him because he was going to die at sea. The response was unsettling. She didn't know how to respond, but she kept up the conversation until Murph said his final goodbye. And once again, Murph's words were foreboding. He asked his mom if she still had the trophies he'd won in high school. After she told him she did, he kissed her on the cheek and said, well, make sure you keep them for my son. 
Then he walked away. The moment took her breath away. It was like Murph somehow knew he wouldn't return. Maybe he felt the same sense of doom as Adam Randall. Who knows? But even this slew of strange occurrences didn't prepare Murph's family for what happened later. Months after the Andrea Gale's disappearance, Deborah Murphy woke up to her three-year-old son, Dale Jr., screaming. She ran to his room and asked him what was the matter. And that's when he told her, Daddy was just there. Deborah's skin ran cold. She needed to know more. Tripping over his words, Dale Jr. told his mother his dead father had visited him. Murph had told him what happened on board the Andrea Gale. Apparently, a wave made the boat roll over and Murph got caught in a fishing hook. It dragged him under and he drowned as the boat sank. The memory of his father's visit has stuck with Dale Jr. to this day. But he wasn't the only one who saw Murph after he disappeared. One morning, Murph's mom looked out the window and swore she saw her son walking down the street. A friend also allegedly saw Murph one day just sitting in traffic in a nearby town. Maybe there was something about the Andrea Gale that's just impossible to explain. Maybe the ship tried to warn the crew about what would happen before they boarded. And maybe, during and after their deaths, some of the crew sent messages to their loved ones, trying to give them closure. It could be coincidence, or it could be the supernatural. Haunted by ghosts, or haunted by grief. We may never know, but for the families of the six men, finding answers may not have been their highest priority. They had other problems to worry about. A week after the officials ended all search efforts, Bob Brown sent a letter to the families of the six men lost at sea. He explained the Andrea Gale had been in solid condition, and as a result, he wasn't liable for anything that happened. Now, as we discussed, that may not have been entirely true. Most families filed lawsuits under the Death on the High Seas Act. The law, quote, permits recovery of damages by family members of a seaman killed in international waters or a wrongful death situation. The partners and children of the six men were not only grieving, but struggling financially. Many depended on the wages the men earned at sea. But although they believed they had a case, the family's lawyers ultimately advised them to settle out of court. That way, Bob Brown couldn't be exonerated altogether. It took time for everyone to agree to the terms. Then the families tried to move on as best as they could, until they were thrust into the spotlight again. In 1997, author Sebastian Younger published the book The Perfect Storm. Though many family members participated in interviews for its creation, no one had any idea the level of notoriety it would earn. It quickly became a New York Times bestseller, with copies sold totaling almost 3.5 million in its first three years. Soon, a team of Hollywood filmmakers arrived in Gloucester to shoot a movie by the same name, starring George Clooney as Captain Billy Tyne and Mark Wahlberg as Bobby Shatford. Tourists packed into the crow's nest, where Ethel Shatford still worked. 
and an eerie presence floated in the bay where a recreation of the Andrea Gale sat, docked in the marina. The movie, which was released in 2000, earned over $300 million at the box office. Some residents enjoyed the widespread attention, excited that the area and its beloved fishing industry were put on an international map. But not everyone approved of the blockbuster film. Billy Tyne's family sued Warner Brothers for their portrayal of Billy. The lawsuit claimed the movie defamed the captain, suggesting he was unprofessional and incompetent, that his behavior led to the crew's death. For her part, Linda Greenlaw agreed. She also thought the film got it all wrong. She told the Gloucester Times Billy would never have knowingly put the Andrea Gale in danger. A Florida Supreme Court ultimately ruled against Billy's family, citing free speech and creative license. The family has appealed the decision since, but the ruling hasn't changed. The case raised questions around what's right and fair when it comes to creative projects inspired by real events. As their lawyer told the press, to have your loved one fictionalized for the purpose of exploiting some aspect of your life just to make money harms the subject, the subject's family, and the public. While books and films have made millions off of their tragedy, the families of the Andrea Gale's crew want them to have the legacies they think they deserve. Every August, Gloucester holds a ceremony for fishermen lost at sea. And inside the town's local drinking hole, the Crow's Nest, a plaque hangs in their honor. It reads, To the crew of the Andrea Gale, lost at sea, October 1991. They will always be remembered by family and friends. We can only wonder whether some of the men have visited the bar and seen it for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time with a new episode. For more information on the Andrea Gale, amongst the many sources we used, we found The Perfect Storm, a true story of men against the sea by Sebastian Younger, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember... Never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Rivera. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Haley Ross, edited by Natalie Pritsovsky and Angela Jorgensen, fact-checked by Kevin Johnson, researched by Josephine Cahio, and produced by Travis Clark. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Lack of evidence, poor police work, clever criminals. Whatever the reason, some murders remain unsolved. Every Tuesday, Unsolved Murders explores the facts of a real-life cold case. Part dramatic podcast, part old-time radio show. 
Join the ensemble cast of actors as they take you on an exhilarating journey through the crime scene and its ensuing investigation. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Unsolved Murders. Listen free only on Spotify.